All right, good morning once again. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. You know what? We're going to continue today in our Rock of Ages series. That's exciting. You know what is, I don't know what the feeling is, but I would, uh, I would uh, compare it to like when you have a puppy or a dog and you like, you know what a Kong is? It's like a chew toy thing that you fill with peanut butter or uh, other things that turn gross after neglecting them for a couple weeks. Um, anyway, you're supposed to put the stuff in it and what's it supposed to do? Keep your dog busy, right? You're supposed to be able to give it to your dog and they'll just like spend hours like trying to get the peanut butter out and stuff. Well, this maybe isn't a great analogy actually. <laughs> well, anyway, this whole series we're in, the Rock of Ages series is 32 weeks long. And not that I was thinking this, but I thought, man, that'll keep us busy for a while, right? You know, not like a Kong with peanut butter, but you know, I'm not like trying to hand you a Kong. <laughs> See, this is where it breaks down. But, <laughs> but here we are, nine weeks into this, and it feels like we just started our walking and, and learning from Peter just like a couple weeks ago. Nine weeks, guys. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't know. Maybe it's from where I stand. It's gone by fast. So it's like, just like with the Kong, it's supposed to, in the TV commercials, it lasts for hours. In practice, you give it to your dog, and like three and a half minutes later, they're like, Next? You know, so anyway. I digress. Okay, this week is week number nine of our Rock of Ages series, our learning adventure with the Apostle Peter. We spent the first eight weeks looking at his life, kind of his experiences with Jesus, the ways that he was formed and shaped uh, through those ups and downs, through those challenging times and exciting times. Today is the day that we start to turn the corner and we get into his letters. We're going to spend some time in his first letter, uh, and then we're going to get into his second letter. And the first eight weeks have helped us, hopefully, hear his voice as he teaches. We kind of get to see that he was a human being, that he had uh, formative experiences and perspectives, uh, encounters with Jesus that then shaped his theology that he wanted to pass on to the people in his care. So today's message is called Dark and Perilous Times. Our world has once again been plunged into dark and perilous times with, with wars, wars, and rumors of wars abounding. You know, I'm, an, <laughs> I'm not, a, I have optimistic moments. Anyone like that? You wouldn't call yourself an optimist, but <laughs> you're optimistic sometimes. I'm optimistic about being optimistic. Um, I kind of thought 2022 might be better. You know, I mean, we'd come out of some crazy years with COVID and like some really divisive and, and, and fractious times from, uh, you know, politically and socially. I thought, well, okay, whew, we made it to 2022. Masks are coming off. Maybe it's going to be smooth sailing for a little bit. Maybe we'll catch a break. I'm afraid that hasn't been the case, though. Earlier this year, Russia invaded Ukraine. Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, Russia is bombing indiscriminately. Russia is killing civilians and soldiers alike. Russia is destroying cities and threatening nuclear ruin. Lives and livelihoods have been shattered. Fear is rampant and darkness is spreading. Darkness is spreading. Despite our progressive optimism in human progress, we are... Here again, staring into the bottomless abyss of moral depravity and suffering. Do you ever get this sense? It's like, where does it end? How dark can it get? 
Is there a bottom to this abyss of suffering and moral depravity we see in our world? So here we sit, staring. We search for external explanations to help us escape culpability. Uh, so we treat evil as if it's a disease acting upon us from without. Always the, cause, always the fault of oppressive systems or these sinister others. But we are ultimately confronted with and haunted by a sense that the real heart of darkness, the true heart of darkness, it may lie within each and every one of us. You ever had this sense? That gnawing, pestering sense. It's like, I think it might be in me too. I think I might be part of that same problem. You know, I'm not bombing, I'm not bombing cities in, in Ukraine but man, I'm wreaking destruction and havoc in my personal world as well. And I think it comes from the same source. The root of all the wars, all the fractiousness, all the division, all the hatred in the world, it's not religion. It's not dogmas. It's not ideologies. It's not even politics. It's us. <laughs> it's always us. It's always us. It doesn't take a mathematician to see. The common denominator... Humans are always the common denominator. You, me, we. We are always the common denominator. I mean, some people like to look at the Crusades. It's like, see, religion. Or the, or the uh, uh, Islamic Jihad. Like, oh, see, it's religion. Or some people like to point at socialism. Like, oh, see, Mao, see what Chairman Mao did. See what Stalin did in Russia. It, it must be socialism. It must be the secular ideology. Back up a step. Every time people have suffered and died, the common denominator is what? People. People just like us. And no other animal does this. No other animal is the common denominator of such suffering and, and, and chaos in the world. It's us humans. Yikes. It is easy when you come to terms with this, when you start to catch glimpses of it, it's easy to feel overwhelmed, depressed, and discouraged. Yet, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must not lose hope. We must not lose our faith, for our hope and our salvation in the midst of all of this is secure. Why? Why is our hope and our salvation secure despite all that we see and all that is going on around us? Why is our hope and our salvation secure? It is because, friends, our very lives and our futures are safe. They are safe in the one who has rescued us from infinite suffering, from the loss and ultimate destruction of sin. You see, it's not just because we're human that we cause all these problems. It's that deep within each of us humans, there's a deep betrayal of God's intent. We've sinned, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And thus, we too put our hand to that terrible plow of destroying the world, of destroying each other, of deep furrows of mistrust and of agony. Despite the chaos and danger that is rampant in the world around us and within us, we can rest in our Savior's promise. And here it is. Jesus has, even now, overcome the world. Amen. Jesus has overcome the world. Greater is He that is within us than he that is in the world. 
Jesus is victorious. In the power of his resurrection, he is victorious over the darkness that lies so thick upon the earth and within our human hearts. Just last night, I was laying in bed in the darkness with a small amount of light reading. I was reading a book called Unspoken Sermons uh, by George MacDonald. And I was reading a sermon of his called The Creation of Christ. And maybe here his words can comfort us. And now, some of you are like, I don't listen well to uh, quotes being read. It's hard to follow along. And this one's no exception. He's, uh, he's Scottish. It's from a while back. So it's a little bit dense, but I think it's worth hearing. But don't lose hope here either, because when I post the YouTube link, I'm going to post this quote with it. So you can read it and go back and like, oh, yes, rub your chin. Yes. Hmm. Good one. But George MacDonald says this, and I think it might comfort us here in our present plight. He says, friends, those of you who know or suspect that these things are true, let us arise and live. Arise even in the darkest moments of spiritual stupidity. Now, he, he, he uses stupidity to mean being in a stupor. He doesn't mean you're stupid, okay? We hear stupidity and it's like, <laughs> stupid. That's not what he means, okay? Arise even in the darkest moments of spiritual stupidity when hope itself seems, sees nothing to hope for. Let us not trouble ourselves about the cause of our earthliness, except we know it to be some unrighteousness in us. But go at once to the life. Never, never let us accept as consolation the poor suggestion, suggestion that the cause of our deadness is physical. Let us comfort ourselves in the thought of the Father and the Son. So long as there dwells harmony, so long as the Son loves the Father with all the love the Father can welcome, all is well with the little ones. That's us. All is well with the little ones. God is all right. Why should we mind standing in the dark for a minute outside of His window? I love that last line. Why should we mind standing in the dark for a minute outside of his window? I think that captures well what I feel when I look at the world. We're standing in the darkness, but we're standing just outside God's very window. Because of Christ, we are welcomed there, and we know that what's happening in there has overcome. What's happening in there is true fellowship and is true love, and it will, in the end, make all things new. So don't lose heart. Why should we mind standing in the dark for a minute outside his window? Persevering in faith has long been a hallmark of Jesus' followers. Did you know this? Persevering in the faith. Uh, Tuesday night at the OC, our Tuesday night Bible study, we kind of circled around this idea how often the scriptures speak of perseverance of holding fast in the faith, to pressing through hard times, not being shaken in your hope in Jesus and, his, and in His promises. Persevering in the faith has long been a hallmark of Jesus' followers. For thousands of years now, Christ followers have held fast in difficult times. Indeed, times more difficult than that which we've known in the past few. Far more difficult. They've held fast in difficult times, seeking to shine brightly in the darkest of nights. From the first century until now, Christians have chosen not to despair. Christians have chosen not to lose hope, but to believe in their gospel hope. The gospel hope that says Jesus is indeed making all things new. You, me, all that exists. I'm making all things new. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, he's ushering us all into a healed and made whole future.
Sin and decay, war and destruction, they do not get the last word. They don't. They don't get the last word because Christ is risen. Christ has conquered all the works of evil both in us and around us. This, my friends, is good news. So while we wait, we do not lose hope. While we stand outside the window in the darkness, we do not lose hope because Christ has overcome. He has conquered all the works of evil, both in us and around us. And Jesus will come again soon. He will come again soon to defeat that last wily enemy, death. Jesus will come and, and defeat that last enemy, which is death. Throughout Scripture, we find promise of God's nearness in times of suffering. And that the greatest darkness often precedes the brightest dawn. You see this metaphor in all kinds of literature, but you see it also in Scripture, that the darkest of nights comes right before the brightest dawn. I want to read a passage from Jesus' own lips here. In, John, in Luke chapter 21, Luke 21, we're going to read verses 5 through 28. And here Jesus tells of the future. He takes his listeners on a journey into the future draws their attention to our coming salvation and what things will be like, what the pathway to that point will look like and feel like and be like as we go. So look at Luke 21, starting in verse 5. Some of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the walls. But Jesus said, the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not, what's, not one stone will be left on top of another. Teacher, they asked, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these, these things are about to take place? And he replied, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and saying, The time has come. But don't believe them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end will follow immediately. But the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prison and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. They will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out. And those out in the country should not return to the city. For those will be days of God's vengeance, and the prophetic words of the Scriptures will be fulfilled. How terrible it will be for the pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people. They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heaven will be shaken. 
Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. What? Wow. What a grim, foreboding passage. But look how powerfully it ends. When you see these things coming, when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. That paints such a powerful picture of standing outside the window. Can you imagine the listeners like, oh dear. There was an immediacy to what they were talking about, uh, you know, uh, of the powers that play in their world, but he's also casting this up against a, a, a cosmic spectrum too. But it ends with, when you see these things happening, take them as a sign, stand, look up. Why? Because your salvation draws near. These things are harbingers of the Lord's return. So don't lose hope. So this grim passage, it foretells of Jerusalem's destruction, but it also outlines a familiar cycle we see playing out over and over uh, in mankind uh, and, and with empires. So many empires rise and they fall in the same pattern, and it will ultimately serve as a sign, as a symbol of Christ's return. As believers in Jesus, we are told not to be overwhelmed by difficulties. We are told not to panic, but instead our response should be one of understanding. Jesus says, understand the signs and be alert. Be alert. Don't panic. Don't run to Twitter and start tweeting about it. Don't lose hope. Pay attention. Interpret the signs and be alert. Although those around us are perplexed and terrified, those who hope in Christ should stand up, look up. Why? Because our salvation is indeed coming near. Uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, in his book Crime and Punishment, he notes this. He, he makes this quote, The darker the night, the brighter the stars. The deeper the grief, the closer is God. Let me read that again. The darker the night, the brighter the stars. The deeper the grief, the closer is God. I believe these words of comfort, they would have resonated with the Apostle Peter and would have resonated with the recipients of his two letters that we find in the latter part of the New Testament. They, too, were living in dark and perilous times. They were being harassed and persecuted. They were being tortured and killed. Why? Because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. No other offense but fidelity to Jesus. Claiming Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. So they suffered. And then came a wicked and reckless emperor named Nero. Nero. He, was, he came to the helm. He came to power uh, in the Roman Empire. In his rage and his malice, they were fixed on the followers of the way, which is what Christians were called before they were called Christians, I believe in Antioch. They were called followers of the way. He fixed his rage and malice upon them uh, between the year 62 and 64 A.D. In the summer of 64 A.D., um, uh, a large part of Rome burned. Large part of the city burned to the ground, uh, and Nero conveniently blamed it on the Christians. Blamed it on the Christians, using this unfounded charge of arson as an excuse, as cover, to attack. To attack them. To make their lives miserable. And stories have long abounded of how Nero had believers in Jesus torn apart by wild dogs for entertainment. 
Christians crucified like their Savior. Christians burned at the stake to illuminate Nero's garden parties. I mean, how awful is this? What would it have been like for people from our fellowship now to disappear? And it's like, oh no, they've been torn apart. They've been burned or crucified because of Jesus. How would we process that? How would we, how would we hold on in the midst of that? Well, guys, this is what our brothers and sisters were having to do. This wasn't a theoretical or conceptual thought thing. It was real. It was real. Because of this, Jewish and Gentile believers, they scattered. They scattered across the empire. Now Peter is writing specifically to encourage and to care for those who had fled the persecution, those who had fled those, uh, to the fledgling churches of Northern Asia Minor, which is today, does anyone know? Modern day, Turkey, Turkey right. Yeah, that was good, that was classy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, modern-day Turkey. This is where all these, uh, the churches to whom Paul, uh, Peter is writing. Uh, it's also, the, I believe, where the churches of uh, uh, the Revelation, uh, John, uh, the book of Revelation, is actually uh, modern-day Turkey as well. Does anyone help me, out, help me out there? Sounds good. Amen. All right. <laughs> anyway, so they had fled. Naturally, uh, they didn't have a command to stay and die. They're like, hey, if you can get out, get out. And they fled. They fled to these small churches sprinkled across uh, modern-day Turkey, what's, what was called Northern Asia Minor. So that brings us up to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And that's all we're going to cover today. But I think there's enough here to get started. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Here we find greetings from Peter to a harassed and scattered people. So keep that in mind as you read this letter, and especially the intro. This letter is from Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Cappadocia, I think I said like, like Cappuccino, Cappadocia last week. I think it's Cappadocia. Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Look at verse 2. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. He doesn't waste any time, does He? It's like, hey... I want you to know this most of all. God has chosen you. You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The Spirit has made you holy. So my prayer right from the outside is that you would have more and more grace and peace from God Himself. That's what you need. That's what I don't want to waste any time telling you as well. I lost my place. Oh, here we go. <laughs> got confused, got lost in my own notes. 
my intricate folding system. So Peter opens his letter in a familiar way here. Peter, uh, kind of contemporary other contemporary writers at that time, they open their letters in a certain way, and likewise, Peter does uh, something similar. He opens his letter in a familiar and a common manner. Peter introduces himself and identifies himself as an apostle, establishing himself as one who witnessed the incarnation, one that saw the living Christ and was with him. That's what uh, identified and categorized an apostle with a capital A, okay? I was there when Jesus lived among us. I was a witness to the Incarnation. Peter's authorship has uh, historically never been seriously challenged uh, with both letters being considered part of the canon or the collection of scriptures uh, from early on, uh, considered such by the early church. Although uh, transcribed by Peter's companion Silas, whom we've also heard of, Paul and Silas, Peter and Silas, uh, may show up in your Bible as Silvanus. Uh, Silvanus, same guy. You can look at chapter 5, verse 12, where he's signing off. Uh, it was, although transcribed by Peter's companion Silas, Peter's pastoral voice and theology are evident both to his readers then and now. Now, we may talk about this more in a coming week, but why would Silas be writing this letter for Peter? Well, during that time, uh, it was very common for those who were literate and trained in writing to serve as what's called a scribe. So Silas must have a, had a experience or training as a scribe. So it was often uh, very common for a, someone to hire or have a friend who was trained write down their stuff for him because it was more uh, legible sometimes. Uh, it was more well um, articulated uh, because Peter was a what? A Galilean fisherman. He had not been trained in how to uh, read and write real well. Now what you will see, kind of zooming into the future, Second Peter... Uh, is believed to have been written by Peter himself. And if you look at the Greek used in these two letters, there's a big difference. One's a lot more polished and a lot more, uh, 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 I don't know, skilled, uh, whereas the second letter is a little more uh, coarse, a little shorter, and a little more uh, uh, less refined, I guess would be the word. So anyway, uh, he uses Silvanus or Silas to write. However, Peter's pastoral voice and theology are evident. From the letter's outset, Peter sketches out three, three reasons why he is writing. What are the three reasons why Peter is writing his first letter? First, it is to highlight his reader's election by God's foreknowledge. You see in verse 2a, the first part of verse 2. To highlight his reader's election by God's foreknowledge, it says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. The second reason he's writing is to remind them of the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work in them. It says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. Holy, set apart. And third, he writes to spur them on toward increasing obedience to Jesus Christ, in whom they have been cleansed by His blood. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter goes on in the body of his letter to further develop these themes. But it's important that he begins here. He wants to kind of have a thesis statement. He wants you to know from the outset, this is why I'm writing. These are the, the, the nails I want to hammer in during the rest of my letter. He develops these themes, but he wants them to know. Um, he wants to start here. He wants to begin here, and, and in doing so, plant his readers' feet firmly in who they are in Christ. And that's the same for you. 
Let us begin here. Let's plant our feet firmly in our Christian identity, who we are and who we are becoming because of Jesus Christ, because of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Especially in dark and perilous times, we must begin and continue in who we are in Jesus Christ. We have been called and established by the truth of His Word. Rest in that. Find security in that. It is Christ who has called us and saved us. We've been established in the truth of His Word by the Spirit, regardless of who we are, regardless of where we live, regardless of what circumstances we are in. We are God's chosen people. We are known. We are made holy in our obedience. We are made holy through the cleansing by His blood. Friend, this is who you are. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're following after Him as Lord and Savior and as King, this is who you are, called, cleansed, chosen. N.T. Wright uh, can help us here by reminding us. Already we have much to ponder. Peter doesn't address these people in terms of their ancestry, their moral, moral background, their social status, their wealth or poverty. It is easy to forget our basic identity as Christians, and it is therefore important to be reminded of it on a regular basis. So, who are we? What is the first basic dimension of the room into which Peter is inviting us? We are people who, by the mercy of God, have been chosen for a particular purpose. All Christians live a strange double life. Peter addresses his audience as foreigners, not because they have immigrated to where they now live, but because they now have a dual citizenship. They are, simultaneously, inhabitants of this or that actual country or district, Ponta, Galatia, or wherever, and citizens of God's new world, which is waiting to be unveiled. This is God's purpose, to set people aside from other, uh, for, from other uses so that they can be signposts to this new reality, to this new world. The new world has, in fact, already come into being through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. So, strange double life. We're foreigners in the world in which we inhabit, and we're citizens of another land, of another country, of another reality. Likewise, Peter is not just writing to a first century audience. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, he's writing to us as well. Along with Peter's original audience, all who have trusted in Jesus are not only saved, but they are chosen, set apart for God's purposes in the world. Do you believe that? I mean, your Christian faith, your following Jesus isn't just something you do. You come at a certain time to a certain place to do this thing. You've been set apart by God for His work in the world, for His purposes in the world. So, don't lose heart, and don't be overwhelmed by the darkness around us, and even the lingering darkness you find inside yourself. God is still at work. You're still called, chosen, made holy, and set apart for His work in the world. We are to shine. We are to be uh, strengthened in our faith. We are to make the most of that time we've been given. In what might be the most overused quote ever read on the internet, Frodo, in Lord of the Rings, complains to Gandalf, I wish, Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. To which Gandalf replies, So do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. 
Show of hands, how many have heard that or read that in a meme? Yeah, I mean, it's out there, but maybe for a reason. Maybe it resonates with something inside of us, and today, <laughs> I bring it to bear in this moment. I wish it need not have happened in my time, says Frodo. How many of us have said that? I wish I lived in a better time. I wished in a, I lived in a time where there was peace and there was prosperity. People were treated well and fairly. That the, the name of Jesus was on people's lips in praise and worship, not in, not, in, uh, not in cursing and in ridicule. I wish, I wish it need not have happened in my time. But maybe we could hear Gandalf say to us, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. It's not for us to decide. God placed you here, called you here, appointed you for such a time as this. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. None of us would have chosen times like this. If we could stand back from the flow of history and say, yeah, I'll take the uh, pandemic. I'll take... Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to stay away from politics. Um, I'll take the pandemic and I'll take uh, wars and climate collapse. Sorry. You know... <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I swore an oath <laughs> to the Lord. Anyway, none of us would have chosen this. None of us would have chosen pandemics. None of us would have chosen hatred. None of us would have chosen rampant immorality and wars. But here we are. So what must we do? What shall we do? What ought we do? There is work to be done. And what if we understood that we have been called, set apart, and sent for just a, just a time like this. Amen. That there's work to be done, that God is still at work, Jesus is still on the throne, and there's work to be done. How does that shift our paradigm? How, do, how does that help us see that this is not wasted time? This is not the time for regrets, not the time for checking out. This is the time when Christians throughout history have chosen to further engage. They run toward the fire. They run toward the sickness. They run toward the death. They push back the darkness. We can be a part of that, guys. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to spend another year going through the motions. I don't want to spend another year just doing this thing that we do. I want this to be an outpost of the kingdom. I want this to be a, a beachhead of the, for the gospel. I want the darkness to flee because we are here, because we're paying attention, because we're reading well the signs of the times, but we're always watching saying, Jesus, you're coming and I will stand, I will look up, and I will know that my salvation draws near. I will not lose hope. So may God give you more and more grace and peace as you choose today to shine brightly in your world. Will you shine brightly this week? Please, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of those dwelling in deep darkness, may you shine brightly. And remember, the darker the night, the brighter the stars. The deeper the grief, the closer is God. So stand up, look up, for our salvation is near. Father, hear the cries of our heart. I know you see the fear. I know you see the uh, angst. You know how easily we're overwhelmed and how often we are complicit in the evil at work in the world. 
That sometimes instead of shining brightly, we've been uh, adding to the darkness through our thoughts and our actions and through the things we fail to do. And so, God, I pray that you would lay those things clearly before us this morning. Lord, I feel this message deeply in my bones. And I think I'm not alone. God, awaken us. Rome is on fire. Our world is in decay. And oftentimes your, your people, those who claim Christ, we're sitting idle. We're sitting on the sidelines. We're not seeing the need. We're not responding to the emergency. We're not rising to the opportunity for which you've set us apart, for which you've called us to be your answer and your response. So God, I pray that you would set in our hearts uh, obedience, a heart set on obedience. I pray that we would hear from the Apostle Peter that we have been, uh, we've been called, we've been set apart, yes, but we've been, and we've been washed, we've been made pure. But that it's through obedience that we start to live into that holiness, that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, set our hearts in obedience. Lord, we've said a lot today. We've kind of plunged deeply into acknowledging the darkness in our world, and that can be pretty, feel pretty heavy. But God, just like our brothers and sisters throughout history, and especially those in Peter's time, I pray that we would hold fast, that we would hold tightly to our hope that is in you, believing that you have, through the power of your resurrection, you have overcome the world. That even now, victory has been won. And that we are safe. We are secure in our salvation through faith and through the guarding, guiding, and, and the healing presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't lose heart. Give us, give us uh, courage. Give us a determination, a deep conviction to go, to run toward where there is hurting. Run toward where people are living in deep darkness. And I pray that in our time, we would see great acts of deliverance. We would see great acts of, uh, 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 of death being brought back to life. Seeing darkness pushed back because the light is shining so brightly. May we be a city on a hill. Oh God, be glorified in us and through us we ask. We're going to take a moment or two to, to sit with the Lord. Oh, how good is that to just sit in the presence of God and talk. Listen, cry out, confess. What is it you need to do? Maybe this is a time where you realize, I've never followed Jesus and I didn't want to start now. I want to turn from living into the darkness, looking into the darkness. I want to turn and look toward the light. I want that light to illuminate me and to motivate me. If you are deciding today to follow Jesus Christ, what more glorious thing could happen in this room, in this space, is that a life could be transformed that the all things new gospel hope would spring up in our midst. If you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ, to start following after Him, I'm going to stand right there at the back. And uh, I want to pray with you. But the most important thing is we've been given a chance. We have a moment here to sit with no one but the Lord, an audience of one. You can, through the, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you can enter into that welcome of the Father. And you can pray and have confidence that your prayers are heard. So make the most of this opportunity.